Welcome to the Ohio State University Winter Quarter Commencement, held Sunday, March 21, 2004, at the Jerome Schottenstein Center. 1,293 graduates received their diplomas. This quarter's commencement speaker is Lonnie G. Thompson, Distinguished University Professor in the Department of Geological Sciences and Research Scientist with the Bird Polar Research Center at The Ohio State University. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to welcome you to the 367th commencement of the Ohio State University. I'm honored to preside at this important ceremony as the university bestows its academic degrees upon today's graduates. At each commencement, we ask a noteworthy individual to make remarks to our graduating class. Traditionally, at Ohio State's winter commencement, we extend that invitation to a member of the university faculty. That tradition also means that we will have a world-renowned scholar speak to our graduates and guests, as the ranks of Ohio State's faculty are filled with researchers, scholars, and artists who who are admired throughout the world in their fields and whose work is making a real impact on the way we live, work, and understand today. Our faculty members are always among the finest, the most memorable, inspiring, and entertaining of our commencement speakers. Today's commencement speaker can be described in all of these terms, of worldwide acclaim and ability to tell a fascinating story. Professor Lonnie Thompson from the Department of Geological Sciences and the Bird Polar Research Center is one of the world's leading authorities on one of the most crucial environmental issues of our day, global climate change. The research of Professor Thompson and his colleagues, which includes his wife, Professor Ellen Mosley Thompson, involves some of the most difficult and demanding work in any discipline. Dr. Thompson has led nearly 50 expeditions to some of the Earth's most remote ice fields on five continents. His research teams climb high mountains and live there for weeks. They drill into glaciers to extract cores of ice that are hundreds of meters long, carefully pack and preserve the ice, and send it back to Ohio State. These ice cores serve as natural snapshots that depict the history of the Earth's climate over the past 700,000 years. By carefully examining slices of these cores, Professor Thompson has mapped out four global-scale ice ages and patterns of changes in the ancient climate. He has also gained a keen insight into climate changes that are occurring around the world today and what the future may hold in store. In fact, Professor Thompson shocked the scientific community and the general public in 2001 when his analysis of mountain glaciers in Africa and Peru showed that they are melting at an alarming rate and that the year-round ice fields on Mount Kilimanjaro will be lost within the next 15 years. Professor Thompson has authored more than 165 publications and received more than 50 research grants and his work has led to worldwide recognition and acclaim. 
His numerous awards include the 2002 Dr. A.K. Heineken Prize for Environmental Sciences and the 2002 Commonwealth Award for Distinguished Service for Science and Invention. In 2001, Time Magazine and Cable News Network named him one of America's 18 best scientists. Ohio State has designated him as a distinguished university professor, the highest honor bestowed upon a faculty member. A native of West Virginia, Lonnie Thompson earned his bachelor's degree from Marshall University. And like all of you today, he shares something in common. He earned his master's and doctorate degrees from The Ohio State University. It is my very great pleasure and my esteemed honor to introduce Ohio State's winter 2004 commencement speaker, Professor Lonnie Thompson. Thank you, President Holbrook, members of the Board of Trustees, distinguished guests, fellow faculty members, graduating students, and our very special guests, the parents, the friends, and the loved ones of our students. It is an honor to address you this afternoon on this very important day when you, when your collective accomplishments at OSU are acknowledged by the receipt of your diploma. Twenty-eight years ago, I, like you, received my diploma from Ohio State University and embarked on my career that has included 47 expeditions to the highest mountains in 15 countries. At these times, my team members and I endured harsh conditions, living for months in very remote locations, far from the basic comforts we often take for granted, such as warmth, cleanliness, easily available food, the communication with those at home. The challenges that I have faced over the years to recover ice cores from the world's highest mountains are similar in many ways to those you will face as you climb your own mountains and seek your own destiny, whatever that may be. From personal experience, I know that mountainless terrain ahead can seem daunting at times, but it is by meeting and overcoming hardships that you confront your strengths and weaknesses your beliefs, and your fundamental values, and thereby you gain a much better sense of self. You are setting out to climb your mountains, and in so doing, you will touch the lives of others in positive ways and contribute your own time and talents to make the world a better place for us all. I want to share with you four lessons learned while climbing my mountains, both real and symbolic. I will highlight these lessons by sharing a story from the early days of my career. Lesson number one, expect to experience failure. Learn to turn it into success. Back in 1973, when I was first starting thinking about drilling ice cores on tropical mountains, I was still a graduate student in the geological sciences at, at, at OSU. This began as an idea that emerged from discussions with an older and esteemed colleague at the Bird Polar Research Center. He showed me a photo of a glacier called the Kelkaya Ice Cap that he had encountered while studying the glacial history in the Andes Mountains of southern Peru. My eyes were drawn to the ice cap. I pondered whether the visible layers of snow and ice might contain a history of the climate in this remote region. 
At this time, like so many others in glaciology, I was analyzing ice cores from Antarctica and Greenland to reconstruct the Earth's climate history. Yet the challenge of recovering the first tropical ice cores from elevations near 19,000 feet in the Andes just would not go away and began to consume my attention. Although the safer career path might have been to continue with polar ice cores, I decided to switch gears. I approached the National Science Foundation, called NSF, to obtain funds for a preliminary investigation of the Kelkaya ice cap but quickly learned that neither NSF nor any other federal agency had programs specifically to work on ice cores outside of the polar regions, and certainly not for ice caps and glaciers in the tropics. Disappointed and stinging from this failure, I went off to Antarctica to continue my work. While there, a telegram arrived from the program manager at NSF saying that they had funded all the real science projects and they had $7,000 left. What could you do on that tropical glacier for $7,000? Well, I thought about this, and I said, $7,000, we could probably get there. So that's what we did. We collected some surface samples on the glacier, brought them back to Ohio State, and discovered from this little bit of ice evidence that Kelkaya did indeed have potential to preserve a tropical climate record. Ah, then serendipity struck. Serendipity is very important. Just as we found evidence for a record of tropical climate on Kelkaya, NSF created a new department that was willing to fund ice core research outside of Antarctica in Greenland. And this good luck, they accepted our proposal to drill all the way through the Kelkaya ice cap, even though such a drilling project had never been attempted. This is an example of being in the right place at the right time. This is important to all of us. Clearly, the first failure of my career actually resulted in my first success, gaining funds to drill the first tropical ice core. But my joy was short-lived, and I was young and naive. My team and I took the same huge drill that we had used in Antarctica, flew it to Peru, where we contracted a helicopter from the Peruvian Air Force that flew us in our drill up to the top of this almost 19,000-foot ice cap. This would be so much easier than using horses to carry six tons of equipment from the nearest road to the base camp, and this would take at least two days uh, to make that journey. Moreover, the drill was too heavy for the horses. But as bad luck would have it, the top of the ice cap was too high for the helicopter, and uh, it could not land there. So here we were faced with two choices, admit defeat, give up the dream of working on tropical ice cores, and return to working in the polar regions, or stay with it and explore other options to solve the problem. We chose option two and decided to build a new lightweight drill driven by solar power that could be broken into small pieces and carried by horses to the edge of the ice. From there, everything would be backpacked to the summit drill site. What a great idea. We had now turned our failure into a plan that I felt guaranteed success. This brings me to lesson number two. Those who question your ability may do you a greater service than do those who offer you faint praise. By meeting challenges head-on, you will become sharper and more competitive. So now back to the Kelkaya story. 
The next challenge was to convince NSF to fund this wild idea. And NSF had money, so we submitted the proposal. Then we were dealt a serious setback. When one of the world's pioneers in polar ice core drilling, let's call him Willie, reviewed the proposal and reported that he believed that the Kelkaya ice cap was too high for humans to live there long enough to drill an ice core to bedrock. And Willie also pointed out that the technology did not exist to drill ice, that ice cap. This was a devastating blow. Again, serendipity intervened. A new young program manager, director of NSF, a special, had a special interest in the studying of monsoon climate. And he decided that there was an outside chance that tropical ice cores might have potential. Luckily, he gave us the opportunity to test the frontiers of ice core drilling. We were on our way. That early criticism from an icon in my field of study served to solidify my resolve to overcome the many obstacles that lay ahead. In fact, it took us the next four years to design, test, then redesign and retest our new solar-powered ice core drill, the first in the world. Actually, very few people believed that our drill would work. Now, that brings us to lesson number three. Believe in yourself. But be flexible and seize any opportunity that creates other options. Although I was upset and still stinging from the criticism of this senior scientist who had dealt, doubted our ability to recover tropical ice cores, I held my tongue. Given this, his extensive experience and success in drilling in the polar regions, I entertained the thought that there could be a remote chance that he just might be right. Now, that didn't stop us from taking the money from NSF and building our drill. But just to cover my bases in 1983, before leaving for Peru on a trip that would determine the ultimate direction of the rest of my life, I took the exam to enter the MBA program here at OSU. Fortunately, there was no need to pursue that option, since our team and our equipment did make it to the top of that ice cap, and we drilled the first two ice cores to bedrock from a tropical Glacier. Moreover, the OSU team was the first to use solar power to drive an ice core drill. Upon returning to OSU, I contacted Willie and I asked him if he would like to join us in analyzing the Kelkaya ice cores. He graciously accepted and he also admitted that he had been wrong in the assessment of our proposal. This led to a long and productive collaboration that lasted for decades. The Kelkaya ice cap drilling project took nine years to complete. It started in 1974 with a wild idea, and it was successfully completed in 1983 with international recognition. From this rather rocky launching pad, the ice core paleoclimate research developed at the Bird Polar Research Center. Since that time, we have successfully completed many such expeditions with continued support, both federal agencies and Ohio State. I have always believed that one of the most important things that one can do in life is to figure out what it is he or she wants to do more than anything else and then work to accomplish that. That's a long-winded way of saying that it's important to determine your life's goal. I did this over 25 years ago, and it seems to have worked. Most of you have still or are struggling with this, and it can be draining both emotionally and financially, as many of the parents here can testify. 
but it doesn't have to be a cosmically lofty goal, such as being as rich as Bill Gates or as powerful as Alan Greenspan. But it should be something that you find satisfying and fulfilling and brings you joy. But whatever it is, write it down. Put it in a drawer and pull it out every so often and think about it, especially at times when you run up against your own personal mountains. Remember your purpose, and it will serve you as your focus to help you make choices along the way. But as you move toward your goal, remember to bring a few things with you. Courage to challenge both yourself and those around you. Persistence. The flexibility to see things in a new way. Willingness to work hard. And a strong trust in your instincts and insights. Success and happiness in life will come only when you find a purpose that extends beyond yourself. It means knowing not only how to do what you do well, but also why you're doing it. Lesson number four, the last lesson. Appreciate that we share a common humanity. I have had the opportunity to travel and work in many countries and learn from many peoples and cultures. We have worked together under the best of conditions and under the worst, the most extreme conditions. In this lies my abiding belief that in the, in the goodness and the greatness of the human spirit. We live in a world where people live separate lives in separate cultures and with different religions. We are all bound together in a common humanity. We are truly a global community, and the problems of one are the problems of all. Education is an essential key to raising the standard of living and the hopes of humanity. In this era of increasing international tension and suspicions, I encourage you all to get to know other citizens of our world community. I believe that this is a good way to build understanding and trust and a sense of community, something that is particularly in short supply these days. We live in a world where societies are breaking down the walls of economics and trade, but at the same time are reinforcing spiritual and cultural barriers. We have so much to gain if we recognize that we can learn from our differences. For example, from the Chinese language, one of the oldest written languages on earth, and I've spent 18 years working in China, uh, their word for crisis, they have a wonderful word. It's called uh, Wei Ji. Consists of two characters, and you might think way means danger, and certainly a crisis means danger. But the second, G, means opportunity. Crisis brings an opportunity to make things better. So I, I think uh, we can learn a lot from this uh, global perspective. Our world is changing faster than at any time in our history, and you know that better than any of us. And it's difficult to know what the future holds. A few of my favorite quotes will serve to make this point. 1943, Thomas Watson, chairman of IBM, stated, I think there is a world market for maybe five computers. 1981, Bill Gates stated, 640K memory ought to be enough for anybody. A Yale University management professor evaluated Fred Smith's paper promising a reliable overnight delivery service, and quote, the concept is interesting and well-formed, but in order to earn better than a C, the idea must be feasible. And as you may know, Fred Smith went on 
to found Federal Express. So in, in closing, let me say that I think that Robert H. Goddard, the father of modern rocket propulsion and for whom the Goddard Space Flight Center is named, was right on target when he said, It is difficult to say what is impossible. For the dream of yesterday is the hope of today and the reality of tomorrow. We at The Ohio State University wish you success and happiness. Remember, it's a truly magnificent world, and let's all do what we can to protect it. So thank you very much. I would now like to introduce Mr. Archie Griffin, President and CEO of the Ohio State Alumni Association, to provide a message to our new graduates. Thank you, and good afternoon. Standing before you today, I now know what Coach Woody Hayes meant when he said, addressing the new graduates of the Ohio State University was the greatest day of his life. It is now my job as president of the Ohio State University Alumni Association to congratulate each graduating class member on your achievement and warmly welcome you to the prestigious ranks of Ohio State alumni. I want you to know that I couldn't be happier with this assignment. You see, receiving my degree in 1976 is the Ohio State achievement of which I am most proud. Sure, I played a little bit of football here, but that is something that I did, and my degree is something I have. And now you have yours, too. Let me just share with you and your families who have gathered here today that I believe you earned your degrees the same way that I did, the same way Coach Hayes taught us to play and live. You earned your degree by working hard and paying forward. Now, I know you worked hard in the classroom because I was there, too, in my day, and I've learned that more than half of you worked outside the classroom, too, in part-time jobs for more than 20 hours a week. I also know you paid forward with thousands of hours of community service. You worked hard, paid forward, and today you receive your degree. That earns you the responsibility of continuing to work hard, pay forward, and expand the education you began here. Ohio State alumni have been working hard and paying forward for nearly 125 years. You are the beneficiaries of that work and spirit today. From buildings in which you studied that bear the names of distinguished alumni to the free one-year membership in the Ohio State Alumni Association you receive with your diploma today, the alumni of this university have been working for you. Now, when you receive your free membership and it runs out in March of 2005, I hope you will join the Alumni Association to pay forward to the younger classmates you left behind, as well as the students yet to come. Organized alumni make Ohio State stronger by combining their talents and resources and service to the university and its graduates. Today, I want you to be proud of what you have done. I want you to be confident in your ability to take on what is yet to come. And I want you to be thankful for all those who paid forward with you in mind. Congratulations and go Bucks!
think you will find that Dr. Thompson and I thought about a number of the same things to talk about today, which I think indicates what's on the minds of all of us today. Americans are fond of things international, cars, food, and clothing in particular. At Ohio State, we are proud of our 4,070 international students, our 550 international faculty, and our 1,500 visiting scholars. In fact, Ohio State ranks sixth among all public universities in terms of the numbers of international students studying with us. In acknowledgment of that, you will notice that we are displaying in front of the stage, for the first time at this commencement, 48 flags, including our own, to honor a truly global graduating class. We also display the flags to show our commitment to carry out research, engage in outreach outside of our own country, as you heard so well from Dr. Thompson and to recognize that more than 1,200 Ohio State students study abroad each year. The flags also recognize the sustained linkages with more than 8,000 past graduates who live overseas, including government leaders in Spain, Senegal, and other nations around the world. And these flags show our commitment to prepare all of our students for the global realities in which they will live and work. Ohio State is a global university. We display these flags to symbolize that universities play a key role in world affairs and that we are here to build careers, establish legacies, and advance the world. These flags symbolize that we value the openness of our country and we encourage our students, faculty, and staff to learn and benefit from others. They symbolize that we willingly share our resources and our hearts by welcoming students, scholars, other visitors, and guests, some of whom may become new citizens. As an institution with an absolute commitment to inclusiveness, we recognize the enormity of what our international colleagues contribute to this country to sustain our educational, scientific, and economic leadership what they teach us about different cultures, social identities and values, and even about ourselves while they are here. And what they leave behind when they return is enormous. Universities have a special role. More accurately, the teachers and the researchers of our universities have special roles in working across borders to eliminate disease, solve environmental issues, combat hunger, poverty, and violence, and fight for human rights, relying upon their tools, knowledge, and cooperation. We cannot be at the cutting edge in our activities without an open-door policy for our university and our nation. We tend depend upon a world of talent for our national long-term self-interest at the same time that we are struggling to maintain our historic openness and the balance of national security. Engaging talent everywhere in educational experiences is the strongest foundation we can build for securing peace and stability in the future. Our challenge, then, is to sustain the attractiveness of our country as a place to receive an outstanding education without, and I quote Representative Bollert from New York, needlessly alienating scholars around the world who could help this nation. The decline in our ability to sustain our current numbers of students and scholars jeopardizes the collective future of all nations. 
The French ambassador, His Excellency Jean-David Levite, visited Ohio State several weeks ago and was described by Jenna Bolt, an Ohio State intern to the Columbus Council on World Affairs, in the, in the Council's communicator as a man who, and I quote, makes a point to carry his flag of peace wherever he goes. He believes allies must stand together or we will fail to prosper. Our flags that you see displayed today are the flags of peace and a symbol of our goal through education to work together to build trust and to prosper. Congratulations to all of you who are receiving your degree today and who now have the responsibility to contribute to your communities, the state, and the nation, and to become citizens of the world, a responsibility that's embodied in Ohio State's motto, Education for Citizenship. Best wishes to every one of you, and thank you.